Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with actress Numi Rapace. When Swedish-born Numi Rapace booked the lead in the original film adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it changed her life, both personally and professionally. It was a role she deeply related to, and her striking performance as the hard-edged, androgynous Lisbeth Salander garnered international praise and attention. That success brought her from Sweden to Hollywood, where she brought her intensity and fragility to Prometheus, What Happened to Monday, Bright, and many more projects. And she's now in the new season of Amazon's Jack Ryan, opposite John Krasinski. The honesty and spontaneity in Numi's performances can be traced all the way back to her childhood. Growing up, Numi always felt different, especially compared to her reserved Scandinavian family. As she says, my heart was on fire. I had too much energy. I was too loud. My temperature was just different. Numi fell in love with the profession at age seven as an extra in an Icelandic Viking film and has pretty much not stopped working since. Seeking freedom and independence, she left home as a teenager. And though not educated, her ability to read people was her survival mechanism. And it also served her very well as an actress. When she describes her philosophy of the craft, it's clear why. She says acting is total freedom. Acting is paradise. Everything is loud, and there are no rights and wrongs. Numi joins off-camera to talk about losing herself and her characters, why vanity is the enemy of good acting, and about her rebellious and wild years as a punk rock girl, including the time she stubbornly tried to swim all the way from Denmark to Sweden. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Numi. Hi, Sam. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you here. I fell in love with your performance on The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. So I've wanted to have you on here for a long time, and it's nice to meet you. Oh, thank you. And I also think that you bring a quality to film and, t- and television that it's unique to almost anybody I've ever watched on screen. There's always this electric feeling of not knowing what's going to happen next. Like, you're in this new project, Jack Ryan, and the first time we see you on screen, you're standing kind of still and calm and this guy is asking you for ID and all of a sudden out of nowhere you disarm him you kick him in the balls you knock him on the ground <laughs> and and there's this electricity when you act that is it's really it's unique i think well, thank you so much yeah so i want to talk i want to talk about all of that and and want to get into how you grew up and mm-hmm. all of that but i wanted to start with that physicality and that sort of energy because you know, it's funny, I was poking around on YouTube, and I didn't know you did a video with the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Um, Doom and Gloom, right? Yes. The song. Yes. And in and it, I play, you... like, I think it's like 12 characters. Yeah. Like, my and... favorite one is, like, a man. I played this man, like an old billionaire. And I was like, not, yeah. That's I, right. I had to put in, a, like, a little pack here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get blown up. Uh, yeah. You get drowned. You uh-huh. get killed. Uh-huh. You, you're made Kill to zombies. eat. zombies. Eat yeah. all this gross crap. Yeah. You hitchhike topless. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. you sit at I'm the drums. Yeah. And you sing. And, and I sing. Yeah. It was, it was terrifying. Yeah. You know, when wonder. I signed on, yeah. uh, Jonas Ackerlund called me and he was like, Nomi, would you like to do a music video with me? And I was like, no, you know, I, I, I'm not really, like, I'm not into that, you know, I want to do films. And he was like, it's with Rolling Stones. So I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, but I don't sing and I don't play any instruments. So, like, don't put me in that situation. He's like, no, totally fine. Like, we, I just want you to play lots of different characters. I was like, I can do that. So I came and we shot like a whole night. I think we wrapped like four in the morning. But you did actually play. And stories. then hmm, <laughs> late that night it came. So no, me. I was thinking it could be really cool to have you with the band, like you know, on stage. I was like, okay, cool. And he's like, and I was like thinking that we, you know, we will have mixing, and then we cut to you singing. I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, like you, you, I get. I mean, you can just learn the song, and like you know, we start tomorrow morning. I was like. That's like in four hours. You wanted to like go home and like learn a song, like a Mick Jagger song and sing it tomorrow in front of the band. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. I was like, I hate you. <laughs> so yeah, it was frightening, but also unforgettable. But I think, you know, what's, what's interesting with like, f- I think it always comes back to fear for me. Like, you know, what, what, what you see, what you just spoke about, like that you don't know what's going to happen. I guess I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I tried to let go of control, I guess. I'm a control freak in one way. That's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I, I wonder if you have reservations or if you've created this mantra in yourself, which is every time I'm scared of something, 
I, I should I, go I that go direction. There. Yeah. Is that kind of Yeah. That's basically like one of my rules for life, you know. You got to if you if you if you're scared, you got to walk into that room. And if you if if you feel like something is holding you back, you need to look at it and be like, "Okay, why? Why are you so scared? What's so dangerous about it?" And I I I think like almost in all my films there's a moment when I feel like <gasps> I can't do this and then it's like Come on, breathe. Like, what is so dangerous about it? Like, step in. And then, you know, I just have to overcome. I think that's interesting because, in a way, I think it's become a self-fulfilling prophecy that you've almost created a career where you're probably number one on the list when it's some really extreme part. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's funny you say that the work comes from fear because now you've created a thing where that's just going to keep happening. I haven't happening. thought about it, but yeah. That, I mean... I'm very drawn to changes and to, you know, life needs to be, you need, I I, I think, you know, decisions comes first. Like you need to make a decision and you need to, to change and you need to confront your fears. If you hold on to like, if you hold on to things, if you try to stay in the safe line, your life, you know, your life book will have very few chapters. No, it's true, and I think that acting is a great profession to explore that, that yeah. line between control and letting go. Exactly. Because, because it's sort of, it's real, but it's not real. Yeah, and it's like, you, you can never be good at it. You know, you always have to start from, from nothing. Every new project, every new role, every day. It doesn't matter what I did yesterday. We might have shot an amazing scene yesterday. I come in, and today's a new day. If I, you know, if I fuck up this day, we're gonna, if, if, if we don't nail it, if I don't find the truth, then what? You know, we can't, then I, you know, then, then, then this day is lost, you know. So I always have to stay. I have to find a way to open and to search for that truth. And in, in the moment, in that, like, the crossfire of truth, there is no control. Yeah. I think that what you're saying is that you're, you don't really approach it from a technical aspect no. where you're going to figure this out yeah. from, from a standpoint of th- if I do this, this, and this, it'll equal that. You, mm-hmm. you want to find it anew each time. Yeah. And that's and it, the way it makes it truthful. Exactly. And it's about connection. I want to connect. Now I'm here with you, Sam. I want to connect with you. Well, I want to connect with you. <laughs> so, and that's my, in, in, like in life, I want to connect. I want to connect with my friends. I want to connect with my son. I want to connect with a driver. I want to connect with, you know, someone serving me in a restaurant. Like, I like to look at people. Right. To connect. And I feel like acting is all about connecting. Well, that brings up a question of what do you do when you're across from an actor who is not connecting? Because I'm sure it happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm a hopeless, optimistic <laughs> person. I always think there's a way, you know. Yeah. So I can always, like, I never give up. I'm, I'm very stubborn, and I don't... I kind of honestly feel there's always a way to, to reach someone. There's a dream somewhere in that person. There's something that you can find if you keep, if you keep looking. I can connect to something. I can find a little thing, a little crack. So even the most technical kind of maybe um, polished or like people that or are controlled, you know, controlled. Yeah, there's always something there, you know. But um, but but what happens is it can make me quite sad because I can feel alone. I feel like I'm I'm asking, you know, I'm asking the other person, "Do you want to dance with me?" And the other person, mm. and I was like. <sighs> I'll make you dance with me, <laughs> yeah, <the laughs> even if you I, don't want to. <laughs> I, I've already f- choreographed my own dance. Yeah, I'm like reaching out my hand, like, please take my hand. Yeah. And then, you know, the other person is like a bit hesitant. And he was like, okay, please take my hand. And it's like, take my fucking hand. <laughs> and maybe somewhere there you will find like a moment of truth. <laughs> right. Well, it makes me wonder where that started. Because you've talked about, obviously, in the last few years, the Me Too movement has has caused a a massive change, if not in practice, certainly in philosophy for this business. And and you've talked about the the whole idea of Me Too being something that, you know, you've been since the beginning trying to break down that idea that women should be objectified or sexualized. And, And it makes me wonder if you, at an early age, had an experience where you said, okay, this is this is how I'm going to do this, or you know what I mean? Well, um, I mean, just 
being a girl, being a woman growing up in this world, when you look around, it's like, you know, women are like supposed to be sexy, supposed to be beautiful, supposed to be cute, supposed to be likable. You know, we're supposed to be this little package that's like easy to like and easy to handle. Right. And I remember when I was like 12 or 13, and I was like, there was like one moment when I realized that because an older man, like he was maybe 40, he looked at me with like desire. He didn't do anything. But still, I felt the energy. There was a switch. There was a different energy, and I was no longer innocent. Like, I remember feeling attacked by the energy. I was, like, 12 or 13, and he did not look at me as a child, you know. And I was... I remember walking in to my room, feeling devastated, and I was, like, in, in some kind of shock, and I was, like, I have to take control of the situation. I cannot be this person that is so such a target and so vulnerable. I remember making a decision to be, okay, I need to be, I need to take control. I need to become a person that is in charge. And I don't want to, I can't play the rules that, you know, it's kind of set up for me. I can't be this cute thing. I remember, and I, I cut my hair short. I started training judo. I started doing taekwondo, uh, Thai boxing. I kind of became like, embrace the boy side, the more masculine side of myself. And I think it was pretty much a reaction to be like, I, I can't be that, I can't be eye candy. Because that will make me become this object. It was something that was like a necessary survival um, action, I think. You know, and I grew up knowing that my happiness lies in my hands. Like, no one else is going to do it. Nothing will come. There's no silver spoons here, you know. And then I think that combined with being in an industry, like that mindset and being in an industry where we worship and praise beauty. It's about beauty, 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 beauty. And I'm like, no, acting is about honesty. It's about like finding truth, not about, it doesn't matter how you look. It's not about beauty. It's not about perfection. It's not about this. Do you think that that feeling that early actually influenced the choices of the roles you took? 100%. Not only the way people saw you, but... This is my truth, yeah. Yeah, so, so you think philosophically you wanted to portray women that took charge, took control. Yes, because I can relate to it. And then on the other hand, one, a, a word that I, that I have difficulties with is like badass. Like people say, you're so badass. No, I mean, like this is a badass killing role for you, Baba. It's like badass, what does that mean? Like, because I'm like, no, I'm actually quite fragile and quite like, you know, I, I had, it was like, I build up this massive protection and, like, this strength and this, like, you know, hard surface and, you know, I can do anything and I can fight. I can do, But it's just to protect my heart, you know, because <laughs> everything matters so much. So the, exactly that thing you described about my acting that you don't really know because I'm, I can feel sometimes like I'm the strongest person, but I'm also the most vulnerable. Like, I can feel like my heart is, like, bleeding inside, but then I have a whole army of, like you know, soldiers protecting it that I'm, like, keeping busy, you know? So it's this, like, I can feel almost like a contradiction. You did say once that vanity was the enemy of acting. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if you ever think about what this industry would be like if more people felt that way. Yes, of course. I find it, like, it's... it's. Um it's, it, it will definitely limit you if you are if that's your biggest concern because then you have you go and look in the monitor and you're like you want to do a, a, another take because you don't like the way you look. Your focus is off from me, you know. Yeah. If, you know, if I would ever ask for another take, I don't I don't like watching myself. But like, yeah, let's say we do a physical scene and it's like a fight scene or or even a sex scene. Like when it's when you need to be quite precise with how you position your body and you know what they see. And right. so then I will go and look at the take, and then it's almost like I have to blur my vision a bit. Like don't look at the like don't look at your face. Don't try to like don't get caught up in the vanity because I get like I get drawn into it. I was like. Oh, yeah, can we be example? like this? <laughs> is there an example when, oh, yeah. when you got oh caught up God, in it? Oh, my God, like every film, like I watch like, you know, um, if, you know, every, every, I think every, every film I see, you know, I was like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, okay, maybe, maybe this time it will look really beautiful throughout the film. And then I see the film. Do I was you like, feel that way yeah, in your head? Yeah. You do? Yeah, because when I'm working, I'm always like, no, it doesn't matter. It's not about that. It's about the work. It's about the honesty. It's about connecting. It's about listening, seeing, like, what do you have around you? React to that. Not about, like, 
you know, giving you my good angles and stuff like that. But then I see the film and I was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> I'm always kind of hoping that I would be able to do the, the truth and still look good. <laughs> but no. <nah. laughs> it's so funny you say that because I do think that there's some, there's some sort of, there's some sort of difference that can be defined between a movie star and a character actor in terms of the movie star is more aware of how to do a look to, to oh, yeah. you know, to make the viewer feel like I want to be that person. 100%. Whereas the character actor is there to make us forget we're watching a film exactly. and to believe. And you're clearly a movie star, but you're on the other side of that, I think, in your approach. I'm infiltrating. You're infiltrating, that's right. Yeah. Do you think that that is something that you've noticed that you can actually hone as a skill as you go on, or is it something that you just naturally are? I will, I, I mean, I'm, I read people pretty well. Like, I'm good. That's my, that's how I survived and, you know, made my moves when I was younger. I can read people. I can understand. I, you know, I didn't really... I dropped out of school early. I'm not educated. I didn't speak English until, like, quite late. I don't have a library of knowledge that I got from education inside, you know. I don't have that. I have, I learned from life, so I'm good. I can study people. I, I see, like, you know, how people stand, how they sit, how they move, and I get a lot of information from that. So I can copy, I can, like, easily adapt into into to situations to I can sit you know I did research for this film I was sitting um, under the bridge and far out in, in the Bronx and Hunts Point and with prostitutes and, and, and addicts like trying to understand that world and you know learning about their world and and I'm sitting there in a hoodie and sneakers and like I feel like you know back back in the days when I was like 14 15 hanging in Copenhagen with like you know people living on the streets and I was like I'm right back in there and like you know when the producers on the production heard that I was out there it was like are you insane like you can't do that I was like what they're just people you know so for me it's like I that's I can relate to things I'm, I don't see myself I don't I don't see myself from the outside I think I go I go in yeah. in situations and I hear people I see people and then I can become a part of of different constellations and 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 uh I think I can lend myself into different views. When you say that, it sounds like almost a survival mechanism. Oh, yeah. Like the need to read people yeah. usually come 100%. with kids who had pretty tough childhoods. Yeah. If we go back to the life book, you know, I, my life already have a lot of chapters. I live many different lives because I started off, you know, Fast and you, you were and born young. in Sweden, right? I was born in Sweden, and then, Spanish dad, okay. Swedish mom. Okay. Moved to Iceland when I was five. Now, your mom was an actress, right? Yes. She had like a drama school. Okay. And yeah, she was like a theater actor. But like, she was like traveling with a one, one man show when she was like a clown, you know? <laughs> oh, so and, uh, a real like theatrical yeah, yeah, yeah. sort yeah. of and performer. And I was like kind of helping out, like, you know, sitting like, you know, <laughs> in the crowd when she was performing in school, like, public schools and you know it was like are those the earliest memories of your mom watching her perform yeah but I was like I was basically like s s helping her you know tra traveling with her packing up the like you know the costume and, and stuff like that and then was your dad around no so my Spanish dad was not around at all I didn't know him oh you didn't no I met him way later and uh, I always I always felt like this you know my mom married an Icelandic a man who became my stepdad and he and my mom had two daughters and uh, so my sisters are very blonde you know very Scandinavian and I was always like this little like my heart was on fire my energy was too much I was too loud I was too like my temperature was just different you know <laughs> what did your dad do my dad was yeah. a flamenco singer Oh, he was. Yeah. So he so he was the, part the embodiment yeah, of yeah, like the yeah. passionate romantic. Oh yeah, yeah. So I have the heart, Spanish boiling blood, and the Swedish more like reserved, know, laid yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's the contradiction. So so when your mom married this guy, you guys moved to Iceland. Yeah, and I and loved Iceland. Like? It it changed my life. I mean, because <clears throat> my mom, I come from a family. Um, where we're not really close. Like, my mom was not close to her mom. Um, I didn't have any cousins. Like, it was just basically me and my mom. And then when we moved to Iceland, I just all of a sudden I had this big family because my stepdad, 
he had like four siblings and they had kids. And my grandmother, my Icelandic grandmother, she, I remember when I moved, I think I was five or four and a half. And I still remember how she stood, opened the door to her house and she just welcomed me and she gave me the biggest hug and she said like, you're my firstborn granddaughter. I was not her blood, but she just loved me like her own. And it changed my life. Wow. Yeah. And what was the community like that you grew up in? They are very... (laughs) I grew up, actually, in a mini village called Solheimar. Okay. And it was a community where we took care of people with Down syndrome. So it was basically like maybe 50, like, normal families living with maybe 500 or 200 um, uh, teenagers and young adults with Down syndrome. And then, so my mom, who was, she was, she was a drama teacher, she was working with, with, the, um, with the teenagers with Down syndrome um, and, and it's kind of doing plays like Romeo and Juliet and stuff. That was like one of my first memories, I think, yeah. And wow. my dad, my stepdad um, was a horseman, so he was working the stables with them. So that's where I grew up for like two and a half years. But I was pretty much like on my own, you know, and I, um, but I had, my, so my stepdad, he was also a teacher. He started the first Rudolf Steiner school in Iceland because they wanted me to go to Steiner school. And it was like five students, I think, and I was the worst student. <laughs> so basically, the reason to why we moved back to Sweden like after three years was that he couldn't teach me. He was like, she's impossible. So we moved to Sweden because they wanted me to go to this specific school. And was school just not your thing? I mean, authorities are not my thing. <laughs> I want to do it my way. <laughs> I, I, this must be wrong, but I read that you didn't really read or write till you were like 14 or something. Yeah, yeah. Is that true? Yeah. Shocking for and, and was that fine for your mom? She was like... No, I'm not sure they knew. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, I mean, did you have homework? Was there... No, really, no. No. I mean, the Steiner school I went to, I'm really good with, like, I can make you... I can make a shirt for you. I can make a hoodie for you. I can I can make a ball. I can I can carve. You know. I can build. I'm a good builder. I'm, I'm I'm like anything. You would have like, been great in China in the Nike factory. Oh yeah. As a kid. I'm hundred percent. I would have made many many shoes. <laughs> no, because I'm like I can build stuff. Like I'm good. So that's my school was making making stuff. I was out playing. I was you know building painting. It was very creative. But we didn't have any school books. We didn't have any exams. There was no. No grades. So really? it was very, very kind of loose. And uh, I mean, for me, it was great in a way because I was very, they embraced my creativity and my, I was, I was quite wild. Did you feel different than other kids? Of course. You did? Uh, yeah, I always felt different. So how did it sort of come to a head when you started getting to the age where you're going to need to read and write? And like- I mean, that's when I started kind of, I, I broke up with my family a bit, I think, and I started... What do you mean you broke up with your family? I had, like, you know, I moved in with my boyfriend when I was, like, 14. I started drinking, you know, I kind of became, like, this punk rock girl and was kind of still listening to hip-hop, hip-hop and punk rock. I was like... And then then I just started drinking and, like, you know, I got into trouble, I guess. And then... And what was your mom doing at this point? My my, my sister was born when I was, like, 14, no, 15. Um, So she was busy being a mom. You know, I don't think they really knew what was going on. And I'm a pretty good liar. You know, I could always, like... They bought everything. (laughs) Really? Because I I read that you said that people that you knew back then would be surprised that you're alive now. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what you meant by that. I mean, I was just, you know, I do everything to the extreme. If I say, what's the picture of the extreme of, of that period, what comes to mind? I mean, there was like a canal. That, you know, Sweden and Denmark were divided by water, right? And there was a ferry going between the countries, like a 45-minute, you know, ride. But um, I missed the last ferry, and, and I was, you know, with my friends in Copenhagen. and had to go back to Sweden, and I just... We were drunk and, like, you know, whatever. Sometimes we slept, like, on park benches and stuff. I remember it was, like, but I think this was, like, September or something. So it started getting cold, and I was, like, I got to go back. And then it was, like, someone was, like, yeah, but how are you going to get back? I was, like, yeah, I can swim. And they were, like, you can't swim. I was, like, yeah, I can swim. And I was, like, Wait, it's a 45-minute ferry? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I would drown. <laughs> but then I jumped in. I jumped in the water, and I started swimming. <laughs> and I'm a bad swimmer. 
<laughs> so stubborn. So I was like swimming and I was like, got this like, you know, I swim like an old lady with my neck like that and I started getting cramps and I had to turn around like super angry. <laughs> I feel like, you know, my pride was so hurt, but I still jumped in and I started swimming. It was way too cold and like a really dumb idea. But I was like, stuff like that, I was constantly pushing it, you know. And I think like, I mean, that's something I... Again, you know, I'm, I'm I'm scared of water. I like I'm really like I hate black water, dark water. And Do you think it was from that time. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I feel like I, you know, the same thing. You know, jumping in there and being like, okay, I can do this. I I think that's something I do every day on set. You know, it's like, you know, I gotta I'm trying to prove something to myself. Hey folks, let's take a break from the conversation and hear about this week's sponsor, Acuity Scheduling. So if you're a small business owner, you should really know about Acuity Scheduling. It's the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar, and it takes hours of work off your plate so you can focus on all the other important aspects of your business or side hustle. You know, if you have any kind of business where scheduling is taking up more time than it should be, or you're not taking advantage of all the clients you could have because you don't have a minute-to-minute updated scheduling system, then Acuity is the product for you. From the moment clients book with you, Acuity is there to automatically send booking confirmations with your brand and messaging. They can deliver text reminders and let clients reschedule on their own, which is huge. So your days run smoother even as business gets busier. All you need to do is show up at the right time. You know, for me, the brilliance of Acuity Scheduling is clients can go into your calendar and they can change their own schedule and immediately confirm that appointment and you don't have to do anything. And that's huge. And I know that if you have any kind of business that has clients that come in for any kind of regular or irregular scheduling, I'm sure you've missed an appointment or missed a client because of a scheduling snafu. But with Acuity, that'll never happen again. You never have to ask what time works for you again. Clients can quickly view your real-time availability and self-book their own appointments. They can reschedule with a click and even pay online. And Acuity's features easily adapt to appointment-based businesses of all sizes. From independent freelancers to established businesses with multiple locations and employees, they've got you covered. And you can collect everything you need to know about a client as soon as they book by asking clients to fill out customizable intake forms when scheduling. You can keep all their information neat and tidy in one place. And you can enhance your scheduling page by including photos alongside your service descriptions to wow and inspire your next client. And best of all, you get notified anytime a new appointment is booked. You can check your schedule right from your phone and even tell Acuity to automatically update the calendars you already use, like Google, Outlook, iCloud, or Office 365, keeping your entire life in sync. So save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of having to keep up with your clients and your busy schedule by using Acuity Scheduling. And for a limited time only, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free, no credit card required, by going to acuityscheduling.com slash camera. That's acuityscheduling.com slash camera. Now back to the show. So help me understand how, like, this rebellious, lying, wild, punk rock girl... (laughs) Lying punk rocker, yeah. Wants to act. <laughs> yeah, I mean, act, like, is, act is total freedom. Act is paradise. Acting is, everything is allowed. There's no rights and wrongs. There's no... There's no authority. Perf- <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there kind of is, though, the director. I mean, they think they are, though. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but like, I like rules. I like rules that are fair. I just don't make, I don't like unfair rules. I don't like a system that is old. I mean, I've always been very romantic and very drawn to partnership and and like it's us against the world. And, yeah. you know, we're going to make the best film ever or let's go as deep as we can, let's go as far as we can. You know, it's now or never. We don't know how long we're going to be here. And, like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so we might as well do it now. So when you go and you leave home and you're, and you're on your own, was... Was that hard? Was it lonely? Was it... No, that was like, that was the first step towards freedom and towards like building the life I want to build. And I became sober. I was so, like when I was 16, I stopped drinking. 
That's that was when everyone else was raving and doing like E, and I was like this. I, I've been a punk rock girl, like even though that was like I was way too late. Like you know, it was like in the nineties. Like I was, I was always like a little bit wrong, a little bit like too late or too early. But you were totally on your own at fourteen and fifteen. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I was like renting a room, uh, like eight hours drive from my from my family. Um, went to like <clears throat> this kind of drama high school, um, and then I started. I got a part in a TV series, so I started making money. I started working when I was eleven, actually. How I've did you been. find acting? So I, my first film was in Iceland when I was seven. My mom and my stepdad got parts in this crazy Icelandic Viking film called Iskukarhafsins. Which means like in the shadow of the raven. Okay. And I just like tagged along. I was like a kid in the crowd, and I fell in love with that universe. And I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to wash my hair. You know, they put like dirt in my hair, and like you know, mud. I was this like dirty little kid. <laughs> what do you What do you think you loved about it? I mean, it's just for for a child, for a kid to see adults play. It's like it's 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 a deadly game. You know, I remember seeing this. It was like a Romeo and Juliet story, and they were madly in love, and she dies, and he like wants to kill himself. I think he dies in the end. It was very dramatic, but I remember I was standing by the monitor, like even when I was not on camera, I was just mesmerized and so. Um, I think I fell in love with the urgency, and it, that it was so real and vibrant and it was just happening right there you know they were playing it was like kids when they play with the dolls but this was like adults playing and and it was like life and death and did you know from that point forward like that's what i want to do yeah and i think like <clears throat> i did theater for 10 years but uh, i remember when i first i was i didn't go to any i was like uneducated i didn't go to, i was not like i got a big part when i was 19 and people were quite upset because i was this young actress that was like came out of nowhere and people like, you know, you're not a trained actor. And I was like, you know, but I'm me. <laughs> and then my voice is always a bit broken. And people are like, you have to learn. You have to find your, your, your theater voice. And I was like, no, I don't want to sound like you. So I was always, like, convinced that there's a way to do it my way. I wonder yeah. where that independent thing comes from. Yeah. But, you know, it's also like I can never... To be honest, I, I f I, I'm very competitive with myself. And I am very hard on myself. And acting is like, how are you gonna, how can you compare performances? You can't. Right. You can't win it. You, and you can't really lose. So all of a sudden, a lot of pressure is, is off. So you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't be measured, you know? So it's like, it's freedom for me. And I want life free. I value freedom above a lot, you know? So I feel like in that room, when I'm with an actor, or actors and you're exploring something you're f trying to find out like what is this like and 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 then you all of a sudden it just happens and you lost yourself somehow and that moment was more true than life itself and that's for me pure happiness how, by the way how did you learn to read and write if, when you did uh, it that late so when I went when I when I moved to Stockholm that's when I realized like oh I don't know anything. I was like, oh, these kids, they know how to write on a computer. Like, it was a funny story. So basically, I went to this drama high school, sort of, and it was, uh, we had like, we, you know, we had English, we had math, and it was like, uh, I think it was history, and I was in history class, and we got this, like, assignment that I was supposed to write about, like, the gladiators or something, and I went home, and for one week, I was working on amazing pictures, drawing, I was painting blood, lions, swords, you know, and then I came in, I gave them like a book of my paintings. And the teachers just looked at me and he was like, what am I going to do with this? I was like, what do you mean? This is like the gladiators, you know? And he's like, yeah, but next time you can do like, you know, 90% text just on a computer. You can scan in some pictures. And I was devastated. I was like, damn, I'm a freak. <laughs> I don't understand. No, but I that's, don't understand no, their that's the way homework should be. <laughs> yeah. So I and there was a really like hard awakening. I was like, whoa, you don't I I can't I mean I can't take information from you know, I got almost panic attacks when a letter came, you know, or like, you know, bills to pay bills. Like I couldn't I was like so not technical, couldn't take it. Like it's like I don't know how to do this. And then I just started uh, this process of Becoming like them, studying people. I, was, I think I was quiet for like a year and a half, like infiltrating the people with knowledge. 
just listening to them and then started like realizing how much I've been missing out on. I, was, I, I would imagine it would mess with your self-confidence too. I mean, I'm, this weird thing is like I always had like a lot of confidence and a lot of, it's almost like I'm a bit, I believe in myself. So I always felt like anything I want to do, I can do. So it's more like, oh, Fuck them for not letting me know that I needed to know this, you know? And then I was on a new mission. I closed the door to that old chapter, and now I was like, this is my chapter. I'm learning. Wow. Yeah. And then your first sort of professional job is this soap opera, Trey mm-hmm. Kroner. Mm-hmm. And was that... I'm always fascinated about first jobs and how they sort of set the tone for what you think your job is. Yeah. Because people who land in a great yeah. experience, uh, it's like, this is the greatest business ever. Yeah. But I would imagine there's a lot of I soap opera it. actors oh. yeah, but who, you know, who the, never the, go on and act. The thing is, like, so funny enough, so, so the soap opera there was like, you know, a weekly. It was like on, on Wednesdays, Wednesday 8 p.m. And the Swedish population by that time was like, I think, 8 million people. 3 million watched it. So imagine that. It's like oh, wow. a third of the population was watching this on Wednesday. So, it was so you're massive. getting recognized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was 16, yeah, and I hated it. Like I, I saw one episode. It? I saw the first episode. I was like, hell no. <laughs> I went up to the producers like, I don't want to be in second season because I thought it was so bad. Really? Yeah. I was like, I don't care about money. I don't care about anything. I don't want to. I don't want to do this. So I was obs- like this very stubborn, strong-minded, a little bit too loud, sixteen-year-old girl. I was like, asked the producers to like not bring me back to second season. So, what would happen when people recognize you and you hated that you were in it? Um, you know, I think I it was awful uh, to be honest. Because I mean, I remember I was doing press when I was like sixteen. I did an interview with a magazine, and they were. I was very serious then. You know, I was. I took things very serious. And then they were asking me, so how far would you go, you know, in your acting? Like, how, what would you do? You know, what, what wouldn't you do? And I was like, you know, depending on the character. And then they was like, he asked me, would you, you know, could you have sex with, like, an older man? Which is, like, a really weird question. Yeah, I was like, what? well, yeah. What this magazine is like, was this? This is, like, the biggest, like, you know, biggest daily magazine. Like, really? newspaper, newspaper in Sweden, yeah. It called Expressen. Um, and then basically, there was like an old actor who was like 60-something, Ernst Hugo Jarego, this like legendary old man. And he asked me like, Would you, could you see yourself have a sex scene with him? He's asking a 16-year-old girl this. And I was like, well, yeah, if the character, if that was required for the film and for the, yeah. And then he was like, yeah, but like you would rather do a sex scene with Johnny Depp, right? And Johnny Depp was like maybe 40 at that time or something, or 35, I don't know. And I was like, yeah, of course, like he's closer to my age, you know, that wouldn't be. And then the headlines, like the next day was like, I want to have a sex scene with Johnny Depp. And I did not, I didn't leave my room for two weeks. So you you had that experience right off the bat. Yeah. Of, of, oh, here's what it's like to be an actress. Mm -hmm. And then I had to... I remember then I was like, I needed to find a way. Again, it was like, okay, what happened when I was 12 or 13, when I was like, take control. Don't, don't, don't leave it to them. Don't be a victim. It's in your hands. You made a decision to do the interview. Next time, don't answer those questions or say to him, like, why are you asking me? I'm 16 years old. Why ask me if I would have a sex scene with an, a man who's 65? It's weird when I look back now. I have a son. I was like, I would never let him move out like at that age. It's like absolutely. He's a boy. Yeah, he's a boy. He's a kid. He's a child. Yeah. But I was very. Um, I think I. Th- I kind of think my childhood ended when I was like seven or something. I became an adult pretty young. Started like taking care of myself. What made you change your name? Well, I believe that I believe in 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 the power of a name. And I want, I want to be proud of what the names stand for. And I wanted to start a new era, a new chapter again. And What were you leaving behind? I didn't have any connection with that name. My mom didn't like the name, really. And it was not representing me. And when, when my son said yes, I was FaceTiming my son yesterday. And he was like, I'm the first born Rapaz in the world. <laughs> and that makes me happy. Because then I started something that he's proud of. I just didn't, I didn't bring my old, heavy, depressed name, you know, onto something that is the most beautiful. Like, Lev, my son, is the most beautiful human I've ever met. So give him, to give him a name that I have no relationship to, that I don't like, that I don't, I don't feel connected to, that would be cruel. What was the heavy, depressed part? 
I don't know, that's like the Swedish, I feel like it's, in Sweden, you know, it gets dark in September and it's dark until like March, April. So it's like, it's, it's just heavy. Yeah. And, and my family was heavy <laughs> and I'm not heavy. So I became explosive instead of being sad and depressed, you know? I was like, no, I want to live. I have to say, just listening to you, I have such tremendous admiration for the risks that you were able to take and, and the ownership you were able to take of your own life at such a young age. Thank you. It, it is, and this is a perfect transition to the girl with the dragon tattoo because I feel like your whole life sounds like you were leading up to play that part. Yeah. So did you read the books before you even knew there was going to be a film? Yeah. Did you start imagining? Yeah. You did. Yeah. Like, uh, you just like, imagine gotta be playing her. I'm her. Lisbeth. Yeah. yeah. But for context, what's, what level was your career at in Sweden at that point? Were you a pretty known yeah. actor? Yeah, I was doing, doing theater okay. like, on the big stages, and, and so that was my main thing. So uh, you weren't like a film star? No, okay. I'd done like small like, art house films. Okay. But yeah, but people knew me, but I was not like famous, famous. Okay, so when you find out they're casting this, mm-hmm. Immediately, since it's such a giant thing, do you just think, like, that's a one in a million shot? They contacted me. I've never gone after parts. Really? No. I've done five or six auditions in my whole life. I don't, I can't audition. I'm not, I don't function in that space. So this is like one of them. One you of may the be the most powerful person on earth. You're just like, <laughs> it comes to me, I'll swim across the channel. Um, <laughs> no, I turned back and I had to crawl up and get, someone had to help me drag me up. <laughs> you, you found your limit, but seriously, like, this soap opera, yeah. I will not come back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's worked yeah. out pretty well. Yeah. But, but, but you go in and... and I would imagine at that point you've imagined playing her and, and... Yeah, so I fell in love with the books. I was obsessed with the books because I felt so related to her. Because she is... Um, she, she, she comes across really hard and really tough, but she's actually just a broken little bird that's like managed to survive, and she managed to survive again and again and again, and she pulls herself together. She doesn't complain. She doesn't see herself as a victim. Even though she gets raped, she doesn't see herself as a victim. She constantly like, took control over the situations. And I think that that was something that I felt like. I know her. I have her in me. So when they called me in, um, the director, <laughs> funny enough, said to me, you're too beautiful. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I'm like, I can be anything. I don't exist. I can take any shape, any color. I can become any, anyone. So... And the second time I came in, I borrowed my, my man's clothes and I was like dressed as a boy. And I said, you know what? If, if you cast me, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pierce. I'm going to put in a piercing here, 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 here. I'm going to take the, I'm going to learn how to ride a motorcycle. I'm going to do all my fight scenes. I was just like going on and on. And he's like, hold on, hold on. Wait, take it easy. <laughs> Can we work on the scene? I was like, you don't understand. I know who she is. I know her. So I kind of, I think I basically convinced him to understand that I would transform into her even though he couldn't see it. But like, he kept saying to me that I was too pretty, which was like weird for me because I never saw myself as a pretty person. You know, I was like, yeah, pretty is in, in the eyes of the other person. If someone loves you, of course they think you're pretty. If you love me, I will become pretty because your love will make me beautiful. That is so true, by the way. It's funny you say that. I was just thinking that. The way we see ourselves even it's often through the reflections of the people around us. 100%. And if they love us, yeah. we feel pretty good. Absolutely. And if they don't, you glow. We, it's really, really hard to climb yeah. out of that. Yeah, it's so, and that's why it's so important who you surround yourself by. Like, who, is, who do you wake up with? Who's the first person you see? Right. Who do you see for breakfast? Who do you see every day? Like, who, I mean, you have a beautiful team around you, good vibes. I know, I, I just in. look over at Nate yeah. and I'm like, See how wow, beautiful, I'm beautiful you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was what I was going to get to. <laughs> yeah. As you're going through this process, how bad did you want it? Like, because you, you, you do describe yourself a little bit mm. as, you know. It comes to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't always. <laughs> did you, it, did really, you really want it, want it bad? Yeah, yeah really. Because yeah. I felt like I knew, I knew something about her. How did you use the source material, like the script versus the books, too? There was, so basically, there was no script when I signed on. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And then the script came, and it was, there was a scene that was not, it was not great. It was the first version, but there was a long scene where my character basically 
tells Michael, uh, the other character, her whole life story, and that she was raped when she was 13, and that her dad I mean, that's was... not in the movie. No. And I was like, I can't do this. And the director's like, you have to do this. We have to have a scene with the audience, because he said they won't, there will be people who... Who doesn't know her story? That doesn't read the books. Like, won't know. You know, they need to know. They want to know. And it's like, I don't. I can't do this. Do you know what? We, had we get your entire life story when you throw the match, and we don't even see who you're burning. Exactly. Thank but you. We get your entire life yeah. story, and it's because yeah. we can read. Like, in I the think eyes. we get the story because but that's you. That's the thing. We you underestimate the, the audience over and over. You think you need to say to the audience for them to know? No. I was like, I kept saying to him, like. They will see in my eyes. They will know through my body. They, they can read my history and my movements. I don't yeah. need to say it. So there's a monologue. There's a one page of me telling my life story. And I just said I refuse to do it. We were three weeks in. We've been shooting for three weeks. So I was like, maybe they, maybe they can fire me, but like, I don't know. And then he, he, it was a massive fight between me and the director. And I was crying. He was crying. I said, I refuse. I won't do that scene. Really? Yeah. And did you worry, like, I'm going to be seen as difficult? Yeah, and, but I was like, I knew, because I read the books, I was like, I need to be loyal to her. This would be the worst thing I can do to the character. This would be betraying. I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't. So I was sitting there with the director, and the producers came in, and I was just sitting, I was like, I'm sorry, but I have to be faithful to her. I can't do it. And then, he, we, you know, we ended that big cries meeting. I went home. I was devastated. The director called me next day. He was like, no, me, we got to figure this out. I was like, yes, but I, I can't do it. And then we started writing a scene together, the two of us, to that they kind of ended up in the, in the end of the film, where she doesn't really, she talks about the rapist. So we kind of, because how we kind of used, he needed me to say something that made the audience understand where I came from. So what we did instead was, uh, Michael said, like, you know, we need to forgive him, we understand him. He was raised by a rapist, so he learned to rape by his father. And then she said, no, everyone has a choice. You decide who you want right. to be. Yeah. It's in your hands. If you want to be a rapist, you're a rapist. It's no, you can't blame anybody else. That says everything about her. Because she said to herself, I'm not a victim. I'm not a rape victim. I'm not like what they made me to. Like, I am me. And I have the control. Is it offensive to say you have big balls? <laughs> no, I like that. <laughs> Way better than badass. <laughs> because uh, to be that relatively still young and in the part of a lifetime, yeah. it's pretty impressive. But again, like also with the whole Me Too and like the whole thing that was like now, every, like a couple of years ago when it exploded, I was doing that like with the sexuality in the film as well. Like I, I was so, I was defending her. I was like, I don't want to look pretty. I don't want to look good. Like we need to, like if, if there's no makeup, there's no makeup. And, you know, she wouldn't wear a bra. She wouldn't do that. Like I was fighting for her to be as original and as she has no vanity. She's not doing, she's not sexual for, for others. So I remember when, I, when the movie came out and I was, chosen like as the most, like the sexiest woman for like GQ awards or something as, as the character. And they asked me if I would come as the character. I was like, are you kidding me? She would hate this. She would spit on you. She would say, fuck you. <laughs> I can't do that. That would be like me spitting on her. I can't do that. So I said no to be on covers as in character because I was like, she would never do that. I mean, me and her had the love story, I think. You know, and I think that's something with all my characters. Like, I fall in love with them, and then we become like, we, it's like a pact. And then I, I'm more loyal to the character than I am to my own issues and my own vanity and my own fears. Right. Yeah. I read that the role actually caused problems in your marriage. I in mean, the sense that you yeah, went pretty freak. deep, you stopped calling. <laughs> Home. Yeah. You. I mean, I think all my characters do, they affect me a lot. And I mean, she was a pretty complex and pretty broken human. So, of course, that would affect my personal life. I How mean, did it affect your communication between you and your, your then husband? Because the thing is, like, I don't, I don't always know wh when I'm in there. I, I don't know how much it affects me. I, I, I get, like, on that one, I was like, I was 
quite aggressive and I didn't understand, like I felt like everyone was against me. And I was just like, I remember him questioning me about something and I was like, just exploded. He was like, what is wrong with you? I was like, just stop, like, blah, blah. I, was like I, I felt like I was alone and everyone was attacking me. And then when I look back, I was like, that was clearly the character, it was not me. So it's almost like I'm and under the influence. No, all my characters, they always change. I can't go back. It's about realizing how, how did this affect me and who am I now? So I just, nowadays I'm better at communicating. Back then I was quite bad. <laughs> well, I think you're right. I think to be an artist, the, the great joy and obsession of being an artist is to disappear completely into it because you love we it have so to. much. Yeah. Are you somebody that no matter how deep you go, you think you haven't gone far enough? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. How does that <laughs> mess with you? <laughs> well, it does mess with me. Um, there's always, I can always do more. I can always go further. I can, there's always like, and I love that. I will never be satisfied. I will never be, you know, happy and like, oh, I did it. Brilliant. Good job. No, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't exist in my world because I'm already on the next, you know. I always, okay, what can I do better next time? How, like, how can I improve? How can I go further? Does your husband feel like he lost you? You gotta ask him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's on next week, so yeah, that'll okay, be good. Okay, perfect. <laughs> no, I wonder if you ever talked about that or, or, or... I mean, I did come back to myself after, but then I went in and did a film called Baby Call about a woman who's psychotic. So, I mean, he's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Nowadays, my son asked me, he's like, so this next character you're playing, who is she? <laughs> he gave me a little bit of a, like, prepare me. <laughs> For God. Yeah. So, last night I watched... Dragon Tattoo again. I hadn't seen it since the theaters almost, what, 10 years ago now? Yeah. And at the time when I saw it in the theaters, I did not know that the woman who plays your mom in the movie is my mom. Is your mom. And at the time, I remember thinking, like, that's great casting because they look alike, you know? And in the scene, your mother's in a home. Yeah. And you go to see her after all this trauma that's happened, and you're trying to sort of build your life again. Yeah. And at one point, she says to you, she said, there, I wrote I it down. I wish I picked a better dad. I should have picked a better father I knew for you. Say that, yeah. And I almost felt like at that moment I was watching a documentary mm. or I was watching something that I wasn't supposed to be watching. When we cast, when they were looking for Lisbeth's mom, it was basically, I told the director, I was like, I think you should meet my mom. I think you should, you know, bring her in. And he did, and he was like, she's she's. He's brilliant. like, she's going to quit if we don't hire her mom. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but like my mom and like we could totally um, use things from our life. Yeah, she, she's been struggling, you know, she's, I've been having like people around me that was struggling with depression. My mom was, you know, been going, you know, through things. So we could tap into that, you know, and there was moments when I did visit her. In, in when she, yeah, when I was younger. So we could totally go, we both have a passion for honesty. And, and um, we kind of needed to go there, I think. And, and uh, well, I didn't have a dad. He didn't, he was not around. He didn't, no, no, on, on I remember, what was that? When I was applying for my American Owen visa, the very first time, you know, we had to fill in all those forms, like, you know, father, mother, blah, blah, And I was like, father, unknown. I don't have a dad on the paper. So, like, it's always just a blank page. So, and I mean, guess, guessing, you know, when, when you're a kid and you don't know and you have this whole, you're trying to, like, you know, who am I? Where do I belong in the world? Like, who do I look like? Like, wh where does this side of me come from? Like, and when you don't know one side of you, it's a, it's a big gap. So I think my mom definitely tapped into that, you know, that gap when she, when she delivered that line. What was it like to act with her? It was beautiful. She's, she's beautiful. She has a, she has a very, um, she has a tenderness and a, and a she's, she has a great, she has a big, big heart. And she's very, um, I think we had like, I was surprised how brave she was. I'm not surprised that your mom is brave. Yeah, but she isn't the brave person. Like, that's not... No, she's quite... She is quite fragile, you know, and people that are fragile would normally not maybe have that bravery in a situation that is quite hostile. You know, you have, like, 200 people looking at you, 
and you're like, you need to open something that is really honorable, you know? Yeah. But I was watching her and I was really amazed by her, yeah, that she, that she went there. I read she's writing a book about you mm-hmm. right now. Not about me, about, about herself you. and her like childhood and you know, I'm in the book, but like so are my other two sisters. It's not about me. And in unless her process- you know something that I don't know. <laughs> I have a copy. No. Um, yeah. in the process of her writing a book, has has it prompted conversations between you two to sit? Yeah, down she interviewed and- me and my sisters. What was that like? I was like, Do you want me to be honest? <laughs> She was like, I guess so. What would you say was your biggest struggle with your mom? Struggle? I think she was struggling with her mom. Her struggle with her mom was my biggest struggle with my mom. Oh, how so? Because she was like, she, her mom died and they still had unfinished business. Uh. You know? And then I think when that happens, it's almost like you're, you paused something and you can't, you can't pick up the phone and continue that conversation. And I felt like my mom many times was stuck in that room with unfinished business with her mom, who was a complicated and not really a warm person. I feel like some people get stuck in like, in in one, again, I always try to look at my life. We talk about the book, like the life book. You go back, you can see like, that chapter, you know, when I was that age, and you, like, look through that, you know, in your little memory bank, and then some people get stuck in a chapter, and they go back to that chapter over and over and over because they can't close that. They can't close that door and say, like, now this chapter is over. And I feel like maybe writing a book or for people therapy or whatever can be helping closing chapters. Do you have any that are still open? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, but I'm multitasking, <laughs> you know. I'm a little bit in this chapter. I go back to that one. I go a little bit of this over there. <laughs> yeah. I love the analogy of, of the book, and you want to have many, many chapters. Yeah. And if you're too controlled, yeah. then you keep doing this the same thing over book. and over again. Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, your book has a million chapters yet to be written. <laughs> yeah. And I think that you have a lot of... A lot left to do, and and I'm fascinated by everything you do. So I feel like we just started. Yeah, yeah. Talking. Yeah, me too. And and the time flies. But yeah. thank you for w- being willing to open up and be vulnerable. And yeah, you know, I've thank really enjoyed getting me. to know you a little bit. Yeah, it's been good. Very. Uh, I don't think I've ever had this kind of conversation, for real. Really. Yeah. I mean, well, I do it in my living room, but like. Now it feels like I'm in your room. Now you're in my living room. Yeah, I like that. My weird white living room with no art on the walls. Yeah, yeah. very Swedish. (laughs) (laughs) It is. People don't know, but we film in an Ikea. (laughs) Should we go get some meatballs? Yeah. Okay. The Swedish ones. Hey folks, that's our show. I love talking to Numi, and I was mesmerized by the original Dragon Tattoo films called the Millennium Series. And all three came out before the American version. And if you haven't seen the original versions, they're definitely worth watching. And if you haven't read the original books, those are worth reading. You can tell I'm a fan of that film series, but I was just so mesmerized with Numi, and I've watched her in a ton of things since. So if you haven't seen her in What Happened to Monday, or Prometheus, or Bright, then you have a treasure trove of her great acting to discover. And when you're done deep diving into Numi's career, you can find a treasure trove of Off Camera at offcamera.com. As you know if you listen to this regularly, we are not only a podcast, but also a TV show. So first off, if you're loving this podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, take a minute, hit that subscribe button, and while you're there, leave us a review and a rating so that other people can find us, and that way you'll never miss another episode in your feed. And if you want to see what you've been listening to, well, we are on DirecTV's Audience Network, channel 239, and also on AT&T U-verse, and we're on multiple times a week, specifically Monday and Wednesday nights when we air new episodes. And never fear, if you don't have DirecTV but you still want to see the show, you can get our television subscription package available at offcamera.com, which allows you to watch over 200 episodes of this very show on any device of your choosing as many times as you like, all for only $4.99 a month. It's a great deal. 
You can really see the history of the show and dive into these stories of these iconic artists. And by getting a subscription, you're also helping support the show. So if you haven't checked that out, take a minute and dive into Off Camera. Also, we are on social media. We are Off Camera Show at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. So if you like what we're doing, take a minute and go on social media and tell the world about us. Just share why you like the show, tell us a guest that you'd like us to have on, or just share your opinion about what we're doing. Also, if you tune into my Instagram page at Sam Jones Pictures, you can see a lot of behind-the-scenes images of what we do here. Not only do we have a long conversation with every guest we have on, but I also do a photo shoot with them. And you can see all those photographs on my Instagram feed. And it's a cool way to see what we do here behind the scenes. So check all that out. You can also send me an email. I'm great at giving bad advice. And I will always try to respond, even if I'm not super timely in my responses. But I love hearing from people who love the show. And you can reach me at sam at offcamera.com. I want to thank everybody that works on this show tirelessly every week to bring it to you. Nathan Shields, Crawford Shippey, Sasha Snow, Michaela Galvin, and Kara Johnson. They all do an amazing job booking the guests, getting them here, feeding them, editing them, filming them, transcribing them. It's a whole thing. And uh, I couldn't have this show without these fine and talented people who work so hard. So thank you to all those folks. And thank you to you for listening and tuning in. I feel grateful that I get to have these conversations every week. And I love doing the show. So if you love what we're doing, tell the world about it. And we'll try to keep doing it for as long as possible. Thanks a lot. And see you next time off camera.